the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash Spot Track, S P O B R A C. You can get 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app, do your deal, get your favorite teams and leagues loaded up, add free exclusive contract at your fingertips. You can also view athletic articles on every Spot Track page linked up with the proper team, proper player, proper league across all of the sports that we offer in connection with the athletic as well. My name is Mike Janay. Happy Sunday. The one pod week for us. We're taking vacation time, not from the numbers, but from the, the pod and some of the, uh, the third party stuff we do. But this will be our only show this week. We'll be back next Sunday with uh, a big NBA show. I gather possibly an NFL training camp experience. I am going to start with the NFL today. I spent some time at the end of last week starting a money tier series, which I'll continue to do. I started with the quarterbacks. There's wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, possibly some defensive positions as well to come. Basically, it's a status update of contract uh, tiered. So obviously, the top top tier will be the most stable in terms of length, guarantees, stability. And then down at the bottom, a lot of who knows, a lot of what happens, and (laughs) kind of building these tiers as they come to me because every one of these position groups has a different situation, and certainly every team has a different situation. Um, why I started with the quarterbacks, A, it's the quarterback. B, I, I kind of wanted to prelude and see where we were going to be in March. Is this going to be a third consecutive quarterback carousel offseason? To some degree, it could be. I don't think the names are going to be as sexy, but there could be a name out there that we've heard quite a bit, maybe annually, hit the, uh, hit the carousel. And then, you know, there's your Kirk Cousins and there's your Ryan Tannehills and players like that who seem like they're on their final their final year, their the final leg, even though they've got term left under their contract. So th- those are the kind of questions that I answered in these money tiers, basically. You know, unless you're Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and, you know, Matthew Stafford and unfortunately Deshaun Watson, there's at least some sort of intrigue built into the contract and the, the, the structure of it, not so much the total value, the structure of it, and the guarantees tell those stories. So I turned those into words and basically said, here's, here's how this is going to be. Are you a one and done quarterback? Are you a a two-year safety quarterback, where's this going over the next year, two years, three years, et cetera, who needs to get paid, who may be on the trade block, who's kind of playing for, uh, honestly, their, their, their last chance to start in the league ever again. I think we have three or four of those at least, possibly more because of various situations across the NFL. So it's a pretty in-depth piece, uh, all the numbers included, all the links out to the full contracts. That is called the 2022 Money Tears quarterback edition on spottrack.com right now. And like I said, I will continue to move on along with the wide receivers, I think probably next as they had just one hell of an off season. And then the running backs who, boy, if you're not on a one-year contract on a running back deal, uh, you're doing something right at this point because I can't think of a running back that is safe right now. Truly, truly safe. Nick Chubb needs one. Zeke is going to get released out of that contract most likely. Same with McCaffrey. All of your top echelon running backs, you know, Kamara's situation is now crazy fluid. It's going to be savage to go through 32 teams of running backs and try to understand who's got any kind of stability left. So those are the kind of things I'll be doing over the next couple of weeks uh, vis-a-vis the NFL. If you want to start to armchair quarterback this league, uh, or armchair GM this league, I should say, we've got a roster management tool attached to every team page. Click on your team. You can start to make cuts, restructure some players, trade some players, sign some some available free agents who still sit out there. Uh, kind of get yourself down to that 53-man roster as we approach training camp here in just a couple of days. 
Uh, we've got that with, with basketball as well. Scott's built a hell of a tool for managing these rosters. And look, that's going to be part of it over the next couple of weeks. Yes, the free agency stuff has died down a little bit. I don't think the trade stuff has, as I'm going to get to at the back end of the show. But the time to start to finalize your roster, Summer League is now concluded. The time to get a, an off-season roster in place is here. So as you we approach October and uh, you know the final, final roster, you can kind of manipulate how things go over the next couple of weeks. You can bring Kevin Durant onto a new team, all those kinds of things, and then sort of manipulate three or four rosters at one time and see what happens. So certainly something to do over the summer if, you, if you're into the roster construction business as we are. And uh, hopefully those tools really help you kind of understand where things might be in, in six weeks with all of these leagues, you know. Major League Baseball's trade deadline will pass here soon. Certainly the NBA will be underway and then the NFL as well. Okay. I'm going to talk Juan Soto at the top here. How do I not? <laughs> How do I not talk about $440 million? When I first saw this pop up on my phone, I was coaching a soccer tournament. It, it hit my, you know, breaking news meter for three or four of the apps that I have. As I'm sure anyone out there listening got the same. And my initial reaction was just to laugh. Not that he, not that he declined it. it. The 440 is such a specifically low number for what we're talking about here. Now, the last time this happened, the last time an offer came out or was reported for maybe 18 months ago, and then prior to the season again, you know, it was in the threes, and we were talking about this. Thing, this thing can easily get to the fives, based on the age, based on the talent based on the fact that the Washington has nobody else to pay right now. There's just a lot of factors with that organization. You know, new owner could be, could be extremely excited and amped up to spend, which we're seeing, you know, with my team, the Mets right now. Lindor's certainly banking off that. You know, Max Scherzer's certainly banking off that. There's a lot of factors that can go into place to an overpay situation. 440 is not an overpay. In fact, the fact that this thing was just under 30 million a year in terms of the AAV and that the report was that's exactly what the Nationals needed it to be because of luxury tax purposes. It's such a slap in the face to this whole situation. I get it. He's 23 going on 24 in October. You know, the 15-year deal takes you through the rest of your career. He'll be 38 when that thing's done, starting next year at age 24. They didn't do deferred payments, which is big because that's something that Washington generally builds into their contracts. But they also whoever reported this was able to find out that this, this thing was backloaded into the six years, right? Which is basically a carbon copy of Fernando Tatis Jr.'s deal. Fine. He was 22. Soto will be 24 when this thing starts. So you're building in age 33 to age 38 as the prime financial year. So explain to me why you have a money problem. You don't. You, you think you have a money problem right now. You don't want to spend money today. That's what this contract says. I don't want to spend money today, but I, but I don't want this guy to leave. So we'll promise him a lot of money later and just hope we can trade him before we get there. That's what this says to me out loud. It doesn't say stability. It doesn't say we, we, we want to make this guy a high impactful play, paid player every single year for the rest of his career. Because guess what? That's what Mike Trout got. Yeah, you can do all these dances about how, yeah, well, 440 is more than 426.5 and you know, 29.3 per year is top 20 AAV in, in the history of baseball. Sure. It's all great stuff. It's all there. It's huge. It's big numbers. I'm going to poke holes in a lot of this, but the big one to me is this. You're telling me you're, you're letting the report get out that this thing was backloaded into the final six years, which means that it's not into the first six, you know, first six to nine years, which means you're going to try to lowball his arbitration salary next year and the year after that, because there's two more left. 
starting at 17, which is the current one right now, you're going to try to save yourself some money over the next two years to sign nobody. Nobody. I mean, you are in a complete standhold right now. You're at the bottom of the league right now. So it's not the time to go make a free agent splash. It's just not. You know, you can drop in a pitcher here and there at 20 million a year, but why would that affect your luxury tax, which is what you're saying is the reason you can't go north of 30 million a year? It's ludicrous. <laughs> That's a ludicrous statement as the Mets sit, you know, well over tax here with a $43 million pitcher who's dominating the National League right now. The guy you just let walk away. So everything about this screams old school. Everything. The backload, the term, the fact that they're lowering AAV for team purposes for a team that has no other AAVs on it, over $10 million. It's just a ludicrous way, way to approach this guy. To me, this was, we're going to try to win this negotiation right now, and we know we can't. So when he says no, we're just going to, that's when the trade conversations can start because now we won't so much be the bad guy. We've made three good offers. I shouldn't say good. We've made three offers and he said no to all of them. So now it's, it's our turn to win this conversation with a great trade package. By the way, that's probably how this was going to end anyway. It doesn't have to be this summer, probably this winter. It doesn't have to be. There's two years of arbitration left. You know, they can wait until after 2023 still have one year of arbitration leverage ahead of them and still get a fantastic package. So I wouldn't imagine this thing's going to happen in the next week. Now look, Giants, the Mets, Yankees, they're going to be in. Red Sox, maybe they're in. They're in. So you're going to start to hear offers come through. No question about it. And, you know, I'm not sure who has the pool right now to do this. The draft is literally happening as I speak right now. So, um, the retooling process for some of these organizations is here. Washington is in that mode. And I'm going to start to put some bullet points out there for you. Let's just, I'll give you the kitschy stuff first. Here's your top contracts, total value in the history of Major League Baseball. I mentioned Trout, 426.5. That's still the most by a lot, by $60 million. Mookie Betts is 365. That was obviously a year and a half ago. Lindor was uh, last year before last season, 341 million. Tatis Jr., $340 million, and Bryce Harper, $330. So there's your top five at $330 plus, maxing out at Mike Trout's $426. If we flip to AAV, which, you know, teams still care. It's a luxury tax situation. So Trout carries $35.5. I'm going to get there. Carlos Correa, his little three-year contract with Minnesota, 35.1. Short and sweet, high-impact AAV. Minnesota didn't have a lot of baggage. They're not a tax team. They don't have to worry about going big on on Carlos Correa. So phenomenal contract. Scott Boris contract, by the way. Same agent as Juan Soto. Anthony Rendon, $35 million a year. Mike Trout's teammate in, in Los Angeles. Frank Lindor, as I mentioned, not only did he get $341 million, he got 34.1 per year. He got it over 10 years. So high AAV, high total value. Now we're talking. Corey Seager, $32.5 million. Huge contract. This is the number that has to be talked about the most. Not the AAV, not the total value, not the luxury tax. It's age. Has to be talked about. 95% of the guys I just mentioned were 27 years old or older when they signed these contracts. The only guy not, Fernando Tis Jr., as I mentioned, 22 years old. And Tatis Jr.'s contract was basically just the career landscape deal. They just said, look, we're just going to lock you up. All right, we're going to make a ton, of, a ton of value in the middle of this contract. We're going to give you a $1 million salary this year, which is a high pre-arb contract. This was his last pre-arb season. So they went high in his pre-arb. They went low on ARB 1, $5 million. They went low on ARB 2, $7 million. 
Juan Soto's ARB2 is 17. <laughs> okay. So that's where the value is already kicking in here. Tatis Jr. is going to make $34 million over the next four years. And that included a $10 million signing bonus. If we extrapolate out this arbitration process for Juan Soto, and I, I just mentioned he's making 17 this year on two, and he's got three and four left. And if we look at ARB3 for Mookie Betts, which was $27 million, that's the high. It's not unreasonable to think that it's going to go past that next year for Juan Soto. He's having another great year. He's not, you know, an MVP candidate right now, but he doesn't have any coverage around him either. And that stuff all gets taken into account. It, it's efficiency. It's per bat stuff. It's, it's per 162s. That's all built into this. Okay. It's, it's, and certainly the war is as well, which I'm going to talk about value to a team. There's a really good chance he's approaching that $30 million mark next year. Which means ARB4, which we rarely see, could be just ridiculous. Could be insane. Could be upwards of mid-30s. Which means he's 62 to 63 million over the next two years alone. Which already makes him a $31 million player. Minimum. Just with simple math. Without even looking at the stats. You know where it's going to be. Because he's Mookie Betts. He's that kind of player. So, the fact that you can offer him $29.3 $29.3 million for 15 years with most of that built into the back of the contract, not now, not today, not tomorrow, later, 2020 or 2031 probably. The fact that you've offered that to this guy who can simply just wait out arbitration and make three salaries worth of, of, uh, of you know, 60 plus million in two years. And then, and then get to free agency and then find his $400 million contract at age 25 going on 26. That's why this is so bad. That's why it's an instant no for Scott Boris and Juan Soto. Because there's, unless you're absolutely front loading the hell out of this thing and blowing it out of the water, there's no reason for him to do anything. You could make this $550 million. But if you're not front loading this or at least not extrapolating this out evenly, like Mike Trout's contract is, what are we talking about here? Any other option, certainly this option, is all about the team. And you can say Juan Soto should be about the team. That's fine. Not in this case. This is a bad team with no contract. That's when great players get great contracts. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. All right? Bad quarterbacks on bad, or good quarterbacks on bad teams, when there's no one else to pay, get great, get great contracts. Unless they want to force themselves onto a great team. And that's the other part of this. That's the other part of this. You can't go 15 years in this franchise on a $29 million per year contract with no ability to get out of this thing. He wants control. Carlos Correa's contract has to be so tantalizing to these players. Three years, $102 million, $103 million. Get in, get out, 30 years old, let's do it again. With Juan Soto, he'll be 28 if he takes a three-year contract in free agency. 28. Still great. And he can go wherever he wants again. So if it's three years with the Yankees, then he wants you know five years with the Giants, or if he wants to do his eight-year contract then to finish things off, great. But I think segmenting this thing is the absolute best business plan right now. Unless this, 15 million, this 15-year contract is actually $40 million a year, every year. And you can use a signing bonus if you have to you know, finagle the payroll a little bit. You may be, be able to get away with deferred payments if you go that route. Why not? You know, why not? Why not? Does Juan Soto need $40 million a year in his pocket? No. You know, you could take 
15 of that and defer it until he's 60, you know, put it, push it out 15 years after the contract's done and make it a 30 year contract. Like so many of us do at mortgages. That's what this player is to the Washington Nationals. He's a mortgage. And they're basically saying, no, we're just going to continue to refinance for the next five years. And then, you know, if we're better, maybe, maybe we'll continue to pay you 35, 38 million per year to finish it off. But we're probably just going to trade you at that point. So somebody else can deal with the tax situation. That's what we're saying here. And, you know, they're spinning it the right way, I'm sure. Well, look, we got a lot of uh, holes to fill. We got to go out there and free agency and be aggressive. We got to be aggressive on the trade block. And we just want to make sure your AAV doesn't stop us from doing that. BS. This is the AAV. This is the guy that gets the AAV. And everybody else, their AAVs come down to play with this guy. That's how this works. That's how this has to work. He is the single entity on this franchise right now that matters. And if you want to keep him, the offer has to look like that. That's not what this is. Not even close. So I laughed immediately when I saw 440. I laughed again when I saw that it was backloaded heavily. And uh, when I started to crunch the arbitration numbers, it makes 0% chance sense to do this for one. So zero. This is not Scott Boris being a monster. He's had plenty of those situations. This is not one of those. And I get it. I, I, am, I am wholeheartedly telling a player to turn down $440 million fully guaranteed. I'm doing that right now. Okay. I, I just think it's probably the worst business option he can make. Ride this thing out. Even one more year. Get your $28 million next year or your $30 million next year, whatever it's going to be in arbitration. Let them stamp it on a piece of paper. This is what you're worth. Okay, right now, today, because it may say 30. And that's for one year's of work. That's only for the 2022 production. Somebody in a courtroom is going to stamp it and say, this is what you're worth for 2023. Let that happen again. Do it. Fight with, fight with Washington. So, you know, go take this thing all the way if you have to. And then you can show them, all right, here's the piece of paper that says I'm worth more than $29.3 million right now. So why would I do this for 15 years? I think that's just the best business. And the age makes everything more player-centric here. Not team-centric, player-centric. The fact that he can ride this out and still be 25 years old to hit, hit the open market, you just don't see that. You just don't see it anymore. So I, I, I'm all for value when we can get it, but the Nationals are not in a position to offer value with Juan Soto. They're in a position where they have to go way above market in all aspects, not just with the total value, in all aspects, to even have this guy consider putting pen to paper. And that's certainly not what we're seeing here. Okay, let's flip the switch to the NBA. And we'll call it a week here in terms of the SpotTrack podcast. DeAndre Ayton was the big news this, off, this week. It was an offer sheet that dissipated in about six hours. <laughs> a, I think most of us assumed it was going to. And I threw a tweet out there. It's certainly just me kind of genuflecting about it, but I, I do think there's probably some credence to it. We've seen some of these middle-class teams do things like this over the years, and I think Phoenix has done this quite a bit in terms of managing their expectations with players that they know are impactful, but that they know they shouldn't be going to the top of the market with. And you can turn around at me and say, look, you got a, you got a max four-year contract. You're right. You got a max four-year contract with 5% salary increases year to year. That's what other teams can offer free agents. That's what the Indiana Pacers put together for DeAndre Ayton. A four-year max contract, starting at $30.9 million, increasing 5% each year for four years. That's, a, that's all any other team could, could have offered for DeAndre Ayton. That's not what the Phoenix Suns could have offered him. Phoenix Suns could have offered him five years 
with 8% salary increases. So if we just look at it in a four-year window here, there's almost 10 million saved here right off the bat because of the five, the 8% increase down to 5%. That's already done. It's already locked in. The contract is official. Not to mention the fight between what that fifth year would have been. Would it have been a player option? Would it have been no option? Would it have been half guaranteed? How do you get this so that you don't get to that fifth year and you're stuck with a player that, you know, by the way, he's only like 28 years old because he's young as well, speaking of 23-year-olds. But somebody you, you certainly need to move on from it, but there's leverage against you because that fifth year is fully guaranteed. We've seen this quite a bit. There's lots of options built into fifth years right now, even on max contracts. Genuinely, they favor the player. It's a player option, but we've seen, you know, in certain situations, half guarantees or, or certain guarantee date thresholds they have to get to or playing time thresholds to get to in order to lock in full guarantees in the last year. So Phoenix completely took that out of the equation by waiting, sitting on their hands, letting a team come in. We thought it was going to be Detroit. We thought it might be Charlotte. There were plenty of teams being rumored out there, and I thought Indiana was an excellent spot for it. I would have been pleased to see this happen, but Phoenix got their wish. They got a, an adjudicated version of and a modified version of a max contract for a player that they like, who has been very impactful, especially over the past 12 months. And now, you know, they can use him for two years, start to put him on the trade block year three, if, and then once he's an expiring, for sure he can move in year four, which lines up perfectly with the Chris Paul era the Bridges era, probably, um, you know, the Booker stuff is extended out quite a bit now, but even, even that can be fluid based on how this contention window stays open here. So to me, it's good business by Phoenix. It's, you know, it's not a team going all in, let's put it that way, but I get it, especially with the big man position, which every year seems more and more instable in terms of players moving around. You know, the Rudy Gobert situation is kind of an anomaly. Based on what we're seeing, generally it's uh, guys getting shipped around here and there for under market values. Gobert's was certainly not under market. But this one makes sense for Phoenix. And they got their wishes, shaving a couple of million off per year because of the, like I said, 8% down to 5% increase on those salaries. So what, what does Phoenix look, look like now? They're certainly over the tax. They're about 17 million over, which is the six most tax allocations in the NBA. So again, not all in. They're kind of running it back more than anything here. That Booker, Aiton, Paul situation for 2022-23 is $93 million combined. And that prompted me to go and do the homework on it because I wanted to know where that ranked. It's 10th. $93 million for your top three salaries is 10th right now. The Lakers are $36 million more than that with LeBron, AD, and Westbrook. That's, how we, that's where we are right now with the big three situation in sport. There are seven teams right now that have their top three salaries combining for more than a hundred million. The cap's 120, you know, 123.6. So it's all about being top heavy. It's all about front loading this stuff. It has been for a while, but most of the league now is in this direction. The average top three salaries on an NBA roster right now is $80 million. That's what the league average. The lowest, as you might imagine, is, is Detroit and San Antonio. They're tied here at 35 and change. Houston and Indiana are right down there. So Indiana was about to make this a big, a big switch. And what's next for them? Right? Where, do they live? Where, where do they live now that this Aiton situation didn't go their way? They had to be thinking this was probably going to happen. Now, they had created the cap space. They had done some late waves, turned some two ways away. 
to get themselves enough space to actually acquire the offer sheet and make it make it legit. Um, but you know, you, I've heard a lot of people say, "What happens now? How do they pivot?" I don't think there is a pivot. I think it was we're going to take a home run swing here. Most likely, it's not going to go in our way. It's going to go. You know, he's going to go back to Phoenix, and then we'll do this next thing, which we were going to do anyway, which is we're still going to trade Miles Turner. We're still going to trade Buddy Heald, and we're going to be somebody's third wheel. We're going to be. We're going to have. 26 million of cap space, which we have right now. And we're going to use that to buy a contract. Whether it's, you know, it's not exactly an OKC situation. It's a little bit more fluid than that. But they're going to be involved with the Lakers. They're going to be involved with the Heat, with the Nets, with Toronto. It's one of these teams that just feels like they're about to do something big on us here. Um, you know, if I've got a list of trade candidates who I at least, I just quickly threw some, some names down. Obviously, the Brooklyn players are there and Durant and Irving. Um, Donovan Mitchell, of course, in Utah. There's a, there's a chance Indiana can be involved in that conversation. Miles Turner's an expiring contract. You know, is that something that Utah's willing to take on for a pick? So, you know, you understand how this works. So, can they lighten the Knicks load a little bit by moving a player they want and getting involved as a third team? I don't know that. I, I know the Buddy Heald and, and the Miles Turner stuff has been linked with the Lakers, but for the love of God, everybody's been linked to the Lakers because the Lakers are garbage right now. And they're stuck and they need somebody to help them. And like Scott and I have said quite a bit here, that happened a couple of years ago. I don't know why it would happen this year. I don't know why anybody would do this unless it could absolutely impact them. And it's not going to be with draft picks because the Lakers aren't going to give up more than one. So I don't know why, unless it's a four team trade and you're getting somebody else to play real, you know, serious draft pick ball, why would a team like Indiana bail out unless Anthony Davis is the option? If it's not Westbrook, different conversation, but that's something I'm, I'm not going to sit here and hot stove for you. Uh, you know, Miami's got players that I think they want to move. They're waiting on Tyler Hero's extension. They want to know what kind of value he has or what, you know, what kind of package they would need to put together probably for a Durant, maybe for another player right now. Um, Duncan Robinson's contract is a, you know, it, it's a problem for all intents, and it would be a throw-in at this point. And I don't think Atlanta's done. You know, and Atlanta might be an actual decent match here for a team like Indiana with John Collins and Clint Capella on the block some, to some degree. Those are, you know, bigger physical guys who can load up the paint, have a little bit more term than obviously what Miles Turner has. I'd say the same about a Siakam. And uh, I just think Indiana is going to be involved. I don't believe it'll be a one-for-one -one situation, but, you know, any three or four of these teams could all get together for a, a late summer blockbuster just to make the right move for them, which is maybe shedding a contract, taking on a contract for a pick in Indiana's case. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, cooperation. We see it quite a bit in the NBA. And I think that's what we're looking at here. What happens with Colin Sexton in Cleveland? Again, they're playing the waiting game there. They're letting that price drop as much as possible. Maybe they're hoping for an offer sheet situation like we saw with Aiton. Um, I don't think that's coming because, like I said, there's only three teams with cap space, the Spurs, the Pacers, and the Pistons. It's most likely that none of those teams would do an offer sheet right now, and um, he probably returns to the Cavs on some sort of modified contract. But I, I look at a team like Toronto, who is fringy Eastern Conference worthy and probably can get better tomorrow if they play their cards right. But they're going to need some help, and I think that's what a team like Indiana can be over the next six weeks here. So I'm, I'm amped up that this stuff appears to be just on pause mode, as I think a lot of front offices are talking to each other. Summer League obviously just wrapped, so there's a little bit of that still in the, you know, in the juices. But 
I think this is going to round up pretty quickly here. I don't believe the Nets get involved. It's just, as Keith has pointed out, and we'll have him back on to explain it again soon, there's just too much financial restriction to this. You know, they can't take out a BAM and a bio. They can't take on one of those DVOP guys because they have Ben Simmons. <laughs> okay. He's not just a player that doesn't get on the court. He's a player that has a designated rookie contract extension, and you can only have one in the roster at one time. So that limits their ability to go and get a player that they might want long-term if they get rid of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So I don't think that they're really involved right now as much as the speculation is out there, but it's these other guys. The Mitchell situation is, is real. And, you know, like I said, some, somebody may latch onto that here, but other than that, it's going to be these, you know, these top 25, 30 players. Who can we go one for one? How can we get a draft pick out of this situation? How can we maybe take on an expiring and, and push down on this season a little bit versus ramp it up, which is, I believe where Andy Indiana is right now. They got a ton of guards. Aiton would have been a really nice fit with those guards. It's kind of like the uh, the one big man surrounded by a lot of shooting talent. But it didn't happen. And now I think plan B is just going to be, like I said, move on from Heald. Uh, maybe move on from Buddy Heald if, if they can find the right value. Certainly move on from Miles Turner and his expiring. Today's episode is also brought to us by Dynasty Owner. Visit DynastyOwner.com. Get yourself started. Use code SPOTTREK20 at registration. Knock yourself $20 off that registration and get involved. It's time. It's, it's past time at this point. If you're not doing your research for a dynasty fantasy football league by now, you're probably behind the eight ball. Um, you know, there's plenty of moves still to come, but you should be a, a assessing your situation for 2022 and 23 right now in terms of the next rookie class extension candidates, right? Who's up next year in terms of Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and some big cats who are going to get 35 to, you know, 30 to $35 million contracts wide from a wide receiver standpoint and 45 to $50 million contracts from a quarterback standpoint. That's, uh, that's where this has to be. You can customize everything from bench points to bells and whistles to uh, what, what counts and doesn't count. All at DynastyOwner.com. Check it out today. Use code SPOTTRACK20. All right, and I'll finish today with back to the NFL. The franchise tag deadline has come and passed in terms of multi-year extensions. As expected, none of the four players who were, who were left on the tag got their long-term deal. I did some work on Orlando Brown for Kansas City. It's a uh, situation not unlike the Juan Soto conversation we just had, you know, brought down quite a bit, but just didn't seem prudent to do any kind of multi-year deal right now. A, the cap is going to soar next year. You know, his second franchise tag pays plenty. It'll be 16-6 this year at about 19 and change next year. Let them slap that thing on you again in February. And then you start talking about a real deal with 60 million plus guaranteed. Sounds like they, uh, you know, they, they offered a heck of a signing bonus somewhere in the $28 million mark. Sounds like there was a uh, decent amount of, of front load to this. But, you know, after year two, what happens? What does it look like? Is year three stable? Can you lock in year four and year two or year three? Sounds like those are the kind of mechanisms that weren't built into this. And then they, again, we heard, you know, as we hear so much with the NFL, it was a big $40 million salary built into year six to amplify the AAV to make this thing look a lot better for the Twitter headline when in actuality, that's a salary he's just never going to see in his life. It's never going to happen. It's going to get released out of that before we even approach that kind of season. So a lot of funny money, decent amount of front load, but not enough structure over years two to four to really make it worth their time. I expect the, you know, if it's, it's a decent season at left tackle, it's only going to get more expensive, unfortunately. Protecting that quarterback is only going to get more costly. We're at 23 and change now. 
terms of an AAV, like I said, the high guarantee is $65 million. So how much did they just shed by not getting this deal done? We'll see. Is a $70 million guarantee over the three and a half years, possibly? But no, no worries for him in uh, playing out this 16-6, taking on that 19 and change franchise tag two, and then working on this guaranteed contract from there. Um, the tight ends, you know, it's, it's just really good value. Unfortunately, there's two really good pass catching tight ends and Mike Gusecki and Dalton Schultz. Uh, I think there's more carnage coming to that Cowboys roster next year. Like I said, Zeke is going to be uh, an issue in terms of the contract. Dak's contract is probably up for a restructure, not, not a full restructure, but some sort of cap restructure. So it might just be better business for the Cowboys to lock in Dalton Schultz after this one tag, assuming he's still the same player. And, uh, you know, they're, they're making sure they don't get burned again like they did with the Blake Jarwin contract to some degree, and that was certainly injury-based. But if Schultz has another year like he did, and, you know, with Mari Cooper out, he's going to be a more prominent pass catcher, in my opinion. If he has any kind of year that re- replicates 2021, he should have no trouble getting himself involved in $14 million plus. We got to get this thing over $16 million for tight ends. Got to happen because these franchise tags are uh, kind of stuck in limbo. They're too good value for the teams. It's never not going to be the case to take a good tight end and slap a tag on him. Um, and look, Mike Gusecki was just given the keys to a really nice season offensively. There's a lot of talent around him. Tua should be more comfortable in this offense. Uh, the offensive coordinator situation got, you know, got better. The, the head coach is much more offensive-minded. There's just a lot to look forward to for 2022 on the offense of the Miami Dolphins, and that should benefit Gusecki. You know, there's a chance he's, he's signing a contract that pushes past Dalton Schultz. Uh, pushes past TJ Hawkinson if he gets one done over the next couple of weeks. And uh, probably not a terrible idea for either of these two to bet on themselves because I think there's a lot more availability for big contracts next offseason than there were this offseason. And then Jesse Bates, which this got me down a whole Cincinnati Bengals rabbit hole. $17 million fully guaranteed for a, a top safety in the league of his age was just insulting. And uh, I hate to see it. I hate to see that being the number gets, that gets thrown out. You know, we didn't even see the five for 80 offer, whatever the hell it was. We didn't even see what the actual offer was. Nobody even got to that point because the agent was probably so pissed off with the guarantee offer that that's the only number he wanted to float out there. And I, I credit that agent. I get it. <laughs> 17 million for that guy in a rookie extension contract. It's insulting. And I went down the Bengals rabbit hole, financially speaking. And, you know, I got a little short of the tooth there. But this is what they've done. This is, they're still trying to operate like 2005 Cincinnati Bank. And you can say, look, it's a new regime. The game has changed. The markets have all changed. They're going to they're gonna figure it out. Well, they just didn't. And you can't tell me Jesse Bates isn't Joe Burrow or he is in a position of importance. Stopping the pass is just as important as making the pass right now. It is. It's, in fact, it might be more important than rushing the passer right now. To me, these secondaries have been absolutely amplified over the past three years. And the money has, has come up. I thought the free agent market for cornerbacks was exactly where it should have been. I think some of these extensions we're seeing, certainly with Jalen Ramsey and beyond, are excellent. And Micah Fitzpatrick just kind of broke the mold on the safety contract, you know, kind of pushing right with Jamal Adams, both who had big trade assets built into their contract. So I, Jesse Bates had all the reason in the world to say no to this. And look, I think this is going to get ugly. All the Bengals fans clapping at me for talking about the money part of this. This guy's not going to play football for you this year. Okay. That's how bad that offer was, in my opinion. 
you got to at least throw two and a half years into this to get to get a guy off a franchise tag and make it worth his, his time. This guy is a nice player. He's an a well above average safety. Did you have to go $18 million a year? Who cares? Who cares what the AAV is? Give this guy two full years of fully guaranteed security at signing and a third in year two. That's how this stuff works now. All right? So all the people telling me the Bengals are going to wake up and figure this out with Joe Burrow, I got to see it before I say anything out loud. Because right now, I'm looking at a team that still wants to guarantee one year and then see how it goes in year two with an option bonus on a quarterback. That's what it looks like to me. And that's unacceptable. Okay, Joe Burrow's a $45 million quarterback, $120 million guaranteed at signing. That's where we are right now. Okay, You just gave one of your prominent players, Jesse Bates, $17 million guaranteed. 17. And all the other players you signed, Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, all these other guys in those nice free agents uh, you've had, I thought, I thought they were doing a good job of bringing in the right players. But when you actually dive into those contracts, it's a miracle those players signed them because they're basically one-year showcases built into five-year deals. That's, it's old school stuff. And eventually, all these agents and players are going to figure this out and say, look, I'm just not signing this. I want to play for your team, but we can't do this anymore. Stop putting in two, two dummy years. Stop. You know, we've got void years. We can build into two-year contracts to make it all work for your cap. I don't need to sign a five-year contract anymore. I'm done doing this old school. And the Bengals are still playing in that game. So to me, this was insulting. I'm, I'm happy to see Jesse Bates' agent go out, go this route, and, and say, we were offered $17 million. Not 80. We were offered $17 million. And we said no immediately, and we're, gonna, we're not going to sign this tag. So buckle up for that one, because this one's going to run through camp. There's no penalty. There's no fines. He is not under contract. He is simply not under contract. He'll start to forfeit that tag money come week one, about 770 per, per week. But I, I think it's ugly. I think there's a chance he doesn't play. And I realized they drafted a guy, and I realized that they were kind of prepared for this, and good business should. Just understand how this looks. The next time you're going to sign a free agent, the next time Joe Burrow or, or Jamar Chase or these guys sit in the negotiating room and they have to go through this because if they don't start turning the keys and understanding how, how much guaranteed at signing matters, public facing, not just to the player and the agent, but public facing, the optics are garbage. And this is another example of bad optics for the Cincinnati Bengals. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash spottrek at 40% off. And to DynastyOwner.com, use code SPOTTRACK20, get yourself some money off at registration, get yourself ready for the 2022 fantasy football season. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Janetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.